0: Right. so Joshua chapter 9 is where we're at and we're going to look at a pretty well-known story where uh, they are deceived into making an agreement on a league with some people that they had no business uh, making an agreement with. And so we're going to look at some things tonight about this that I I think will help us understand just a a lot of things about how God works uh, when it comes to different sins. And it just shows us a little bit of the character of God. We're going to be, be able to make some good life application and then just learn a few things too um, historically about the Bible. One thing I've enjoyed about preaching through Genesis and I've been enjoying it on this too, is it's kind of going through this chapter by chapter and verse by verse is forcing me to take the time to go and, and look at, look up these people in different groups that are talked about and just kind of seeing the role they end up playing throughout the Bible. And it's very informative when you do that. And it's just a reminder that all these stories are in the Bible for a reason. A lot of the what seem like random details in many of the books because we're kind of focused on the main story, a lot of times those extra details are there because God knew what was coming later and knew we were going to need that information. And so when you start tying all those things together, it's just one more thing that will just impress you about the Bible. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass, when all the kings were on this side... Jordan in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So uh, Israel, now they've got two victories under their belt. They had Jericho. That was a piece of cake. Uh, they had Ai, which they you know, had a small defeat at first, but then they got right. And then another big defeat, God doing amazing work there. And so now words get now in these nations, they're still not humbling themselves. They're still not getting right. And so what we see them doing now is thinking, you know what, we just got to work a little smarter. We got to try a little harder. It's like a person when they get caught in sin, many times instead of getting right, you know what they do, they just get more sneaky. And I've seen that many times in my life with young people. Uh, when I was a youth director, you know, you had some of the people that were just kind of rotten and they get busted for stuff. And then all of a sudden it seemed like they got reformed. But you got to a point where you just knew with some of them, they didn't get reformed. They just are being more careful now. And then eventually they get busted again. And some people just never learn. And these people, they did not learn. What they did now is they said, you know what we need to do? We all just need to fight together. Let's stick together. You know, let's all uh, you know, uh, come together and then we can defeat these guys. And so, uh, and the thing is, we're going to see later in this chapter, one of the reasons that they did this is because God hardened their heart. You know why? Because God wanted to destroy these people. And I do, I believe these were, for the most part, while we see exceptions, they were reprobate. We do see, even in Jericho, you had Rahab and her family that were spared. And we're going to see, even in this story, where a very misguided bad group, I do believe God shows them mercy just because they were kind of looking for it, even though they didn't know how to look for it, even though the way they went about looking for it was bad, they still got it. And there's just something something about God. He loves showing mercy to people. And we should all be thankful for that. We should be very thankful. So it says in verse 3, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon... Okay? Now the inhabitants of Gibeon are specifically Hivites, we're going to see, but I don't believe that they're necessarily all of the Hivites. This is just one city that the Hivites had. And so when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done under Jericho and Ai, they did work uh, willily, I believe is how you would say that, and which this is the only time you see that word in the Bible, and it's the same as, I uh, like the word wiles. So it, it's with deception, with trickery is what they did here. And so it says, And they went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent, and bound up and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua and to the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. Now making a league with these people was something that was clearly forbidden. Joshua has just recently read the entire law to the people of Israel, and one of the laws they would have read, and they knew it, they remembered it, was Deuteronomy twenty seventeen, says But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. So these are Hivites that are talking to them, ones who lived in Gibeon, And they're wanting to make a league clearly forbidden. And it says in verse 7, And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? So they know what God's word says. They know this is something that's clearly forbidden. You guys live among us. You're in our land. We can't make a league with you. So um, what's interesting, I want you to notice, is this was in fact a sin even though they were deceived. I preached a sermon a while back called the sin of being deceived. You know, we have been commanded over and over again in the Bible not to be deceived. We have to be careful. There are people out there trying to deceive us. You as church members, you shouldn't just have blind trust, even in me as the pastor, uh, because you could be deceived if that's the case. And every one of us, we have an individual responsibility to make sure people aren't putting one over on us. And that means we've got to be watching. We've got to be paying attention we got to be praying. We've got to be reading the Bible. we got to be following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Every one of you has to do those things. You can't just pick a church and say, I trust this guy. I'm just going to blindly follow whatever he says. That's not how that's supposed to work. If you do that and I lead you off a cliff, yeah, I'm a bad guy, but you know what? You're bad too, and you deserve to go off the cliff. So don't uh, just... Uh, make sure you take responsibility for these things. Don't just go blaming pastors for all these things. But at the same time, I'm going to show you, too, because we're going to look at the consequences of being deceived, and we're going to see that, you know, thankfully, it's not as bad as when you sin willfully. You know, it's wrong for you to be deceived, but it's not as bad as when you sin willfully, as long as you look for mercy, as long as you acknowledge it. If You just want to get stubborn, and then, you know, we got another story, but uh, we'll say more about that in a little bit, but verse 8 says, And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? Now I don't know for sure the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but based on what I'm reading here, you know, these people have dressed up, they've gone to great lengths to look like they came from far away. But some for some reason, when the men of Israel saw them, they recognized them as Hivites, as people from that land. And it's probably because you know, different groups, you know, family groups and ethnic groups tend to look alike. And so they they tend to talk alike, uh, sound like, you know, you can often figure out what state somebody's from just by listening to them talk. You know, even in America, when we're all very interconnected with each other. And so they, you know, at, at first appearance, even after all the work they did, they recognized them as being from the land. But they said they came from a far country. Uh, so, so they said unto him, From a very far country, thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God, for we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. And that was some battles that they won before Joshua took over. Before we And uh, the book of Deuteronomy, I believe, is where those are at. And so... I think it's interesting how this city, too, there's some similarities between their response and Rahab. You know, Rahab, she said, you know, we're done. We know we're done. We know what God did for you. And she did. She directly went to them for mercy, just kind of threw themselves at her mercy. These guys, they weren't quite as good as Rahab. You know, they noticed what God had done, they recognized what God had done for the children of Israel. They recognize the fact that we're done for, but instead of just asking for mercy, they tried to trick them into getting mercy, which was wrong. But again, I think they did this because the Canaanites were just a rough group. They didn't really do anything right. And so I think this was a really sorry, wicked group's best attempt at getting mercy because they're thinking, I wouldn't give us mercy. We wouldn't be merciful to any other group. Let's trick these guys into being merciful to us. And so it was wrong. What they did was wrong, but we're going to see they got away with it. They they totally got away with it for the most part. Uh, But anyway, so it says, uh, Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you uh, for the journey and go to meet them and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore now make ye a league with us. This, our bread, we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. And now behold, it is dry and moldy. And these bottles of wine, which we filled were new and behold, they be rent. And these are garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Now I've been wanting to preach a message about deceptive practices, and I'm not doing that tonight, but I have to point this out because this is very interesting here. So first of all, notice how, because here's something you need to understand. If somebody is telling you the truth, okay, they don't need to spend a whole lot of time going into details to prove they're telling the truth, okay? When you're telling the truth, you just tell the truth, and you just expect people to believe you because it's the truth, right? But, and these people, so the thing is, you know, if they did a really good job of making it look like they've been on a long journey and all this stuff, you know, Joshua and his men, they would have just been able to tell by looking at them, but notice they had to point it out. Look at our moldy bread, you know, look at our old wine bottles, look at our, look at our old clothes. They had to point those things out. Now, if you actually came from a long journey and that those things just naturally happen. You're not going to point that out. You're, you're not going to think to do that because it's just a fact. We're from a far country. But they had to point it out. You know why? Because it was the It that was like, hey, aren't you looking at our props? Aren't you paying attention? We, we put a lot of work into this. We hired a Hollywood makeup artist to make it look like we've been doing this for a long time. You know, they, they, that, you know, you don't do it that way. In fact, I remember I was watching a thing one time, and I hate to bring up this conspiracy because I'll get accused of, you know, believing things I don't. But it, um, and trust, I don't, I don't, I don't trust NASA either. Okay. But I don't, but there was this one video I saw where uh it was like one of these news crews, they were interviewing these people that were in space and they're all hanging there in zero gravity. And the lady's hair was like up in the air. And then the guy's like talking to me, he's like, man, it's just like you got y'all are, the news guy's like, it's just like y'all are in the next room. And then they just kind of got this funny look at the face and you know, like the lady had to like point at her hair. It's like, don't you see the pro, you know, see how we did this? You know how much work this took? I mean, the way they had to point it out, you know, if if I was actually in space and somebody told me it's just like you're in the next room, I'd just be like that's cool. You know, great technology. I'm not going to be like, look, no, you know, no harness, you know, no strings on So I remember when I saw that, I was like, that's really weird. You know, that that's really weird. Uh I said, obviously, um yeah, I'm not here to promote conspiracy theories, but I'm just saying when people have to point those things out, okay, there's a good chance they're being deceptive. Somewhere, there's a good chance that they're lying to you. So don't go out telling everybody I believe the moon landing was fake, and that I think the world's flat and stuff like that. I, I, I don't, but I am suspicious of NASA. All right, let's just—I'll just say that and leave that right there, and y'all can do whatever you want with that. But anyway, so it says. Um, But yeah, so another another thing about, so, because what they're doing too, when they're pointing at these things, okay, you know, it's kind of like an example of misdirection. That's what a magician often does. A magician, when they're up there trying to trick you, trying to perform an illusion to make you think they made something disappear or whatever it is they're trying to do, part of their routine and what they're doing is they're getting you focused on certain things. That's why they have all the lights and all the props and uh, they have you know the the women up there just to kind of get your attention on some you know, whatever it is they need you looking at so they can put one over on you somewhere. That's the whole art of everything that they're doing right there. And so when uh you know people use that kind of thing, okay, it's some it, it is. It's misdirection. And often people do this too. Your kids have probably done stuff like this too. Some of this stuff just comes natural to us. But when people get accused of something, you know, a very common tactic that people use to get you to look away from what they don't want you to see is they will talk about the things that they didn't do. You know, like, uh, who ate all the cookies? You know, well, I didn't eat all the cookies. You know, I didn't eat all the cookies. Now, you ate some of the cookies. Okay, so what they do, what kids are I mean, teenagers can be the worst with that. that one thing... That would just, you know, my kids probably got punished for a lot of things that teenagers did when I was a youth director. Because there were, I dealt with teenagers all the time before I had teenagers. And one thing that they would often do in the school and in the youth group is if you didn't phrase your question perfectly. I mean, exactly as it happened, you know, down to the detail of whether they led with their right hand or left hand and punching somebody. Then they felt like they could just completely deny Whatever you said, or whatever you were accusing them of, and that would just irritate the snot out of me. And it's like, and I remember when my kids would do anything similar to that, I would just absolutely lose it on them. And so, you know, that's what people do is, you know, this like, you know, did you, did you steal that money? I didn't rob the bank. I didn't fly planes into the World Trade Center. Well, I didn't ask you if you flew planes in the World Trade Center. I asked, you know, did you steal that? You know, did you steal money? Did you steal money from the offering plate? You know, if if I, as a pastor, I get accused of stealing money from the offering plate. No, I didn't steal money from the offering plate. Now, the truth is I stole it from the change jar. You know, but but either way, the point is not so much whether or not where I stole it from. The question is, did I steal? But what what often what they'll do when they're guilty is they start getting real specific and start talking about all the things that they didn't do. It's, it's misdirection, folks. Whenever people do that, just mark it down. They're lying. When they're saying, you know, know, we want to know if you stole. I never did drugs. You know, I never drank. You know, I didn't do this. Oh, and then let me tell you about this other person. You know what they did? You know, and then they'll start talking about somebody that's worse than them and all the things that they did. did. I'm I'm not asking about that. I'm asking, did you do this specific thing right here? That's misdirection. And your kids will do that too. You know, what they'll start doing. You know, you'll ask, hey, did you do this? And then they'll start talking about what their brother or sister did. What is that? Misdirection. Get your eyes off me. Start looking at somebody else. All the kids are looking nervous right now. You're you know, you're giving away all my secrets. You're going to get, I'm going to get more trouble now. Hey, listen, I've been a parent for a while. I know how these things work. And adults do the same thing. Adults do the same thing. And just mark it down. Whenever somebody gets accused of anything, and they get up or somebody defending them gets up and starts going down a list of things that they didn't do, just mark it down they did whatever they're being accused of. It's misdirection. If you accuse me of something specific and I didn't do it, I'm going to want to talk very specifically talk about that very thing and prove where I'm right. And when I got to start pointing at props and things that you didn't ask to see, things that you didn't ask to look at, it's because I'm trying to distract you. And those are very common methods of deception. Don't fall for it, folks. I, I see right through that stuff. I've been in the Baptist world long enough. I've seen enough crooks. I've seen enough guys fall. I know how these things work. I've been a youth director. I've been a parent for 19 years. I know how, I know how these things work. I worked in a Christian school. And you do. You, you learn You learn a few things in doing that. And so that's another message for another day, but uh, I couldn't help but just uh, thinking this is a great example uh, that you could use for a sermon like that, just showing how people operate. And, uh, and it's another thing, too, with the government, okay? They don't want us, you know, paying attention to what's going on, you know, in our country right now, so a lot of times they'll distract us maybe with things like Afghanistan. And if it's not Afghanistan they want us looking at, then something else is going to happen, okay? just... Whatever it is they're not talking about, that's probably what we should be paying attention to. But whatever it is they are talking about in the news, that's probably the misdirection. That's probably what we're not supposed to be paying attention to. They didn't want us talking about the however many billion, dollars was it, trillion dollars they lost on September 10th, 20 years ago. And then what happened after that? People should have been talking about a trillion dollars coming up missing. Oh, but what happened? Planes flown to the World Trade Center. One to the Pentagon. What is that? to get us talking about something else. Just get us talking about something else. Very, uh, very common tactic. Don't fall for it. But anyway, um, so while the Bible uh, in this story does not specifically mention them, or in the story of Ai, remember we covered this, how they did not uh, consult God before they went after Ai the first time. But the second time they did. And we see that they won the victory. Now, in this story, the Bible specifically tells us they did not consult God. So this is an area where they were wrong. And remember, Joshua is probably one of the greatest leaders Israel ever had. The Bible says very little little negative about him. I mean, and this is one of the more negative things. You know, he threw a little fit after he lost the one battle because he didn't consult God. And here he didn't consult God again. Joshua's big problem was he, I think he just got a little too confident because of all the success he was having and he just kept forgetting God. But at the end of the day, we know Joshua had a good heart and for the most part, he did things right. But it says in verse 15, and Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live and the princes of the congregation swear unto him. Now, something I do not understand about this league exactly is why it was valid since the people were lying and using trickery. I mean, you know, it, it seems like when they found out, oh, wait, you guys actually live in our border. We can't make a league with you. Y'all are dead. You know, I think they should have been able to do that. But you know what? That wasn't what they should have done. And I think part of their problem was Israel, obviously, they trusted them too much and they were not specific about the terms and conditions of the league because they clearly... These people clearly were lying and using trickery. And we're going to see, years later, um, this league got violated. Years later, and Israel got in trouble for it. And and we'll look at that in a little bit. Can anybody off the top of their head tell me the story where Israel violated this league? Does anybody know that story off the top of their head? That's right. King Saul slew the Gibeonites. And we'll, uh, we'll look at that in a little bit. And the Bible doesn't even tell the story uh, necessarily about when it happened. It just referred back to it happening. And that was why there was a a famine going on in Israel. We'll, We'll look at that in a little bit. But in verse 16, it says, And it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day, now their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Beeroth, Kirjath, Jerom. And the children of Israel smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation murmured against the princes. So Israel, they did, they stood by their vow and it was in fact the right thing to do. It says in Numbers 30 verse 1, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. So we see vows were very important and they were also warned not to make foolish vows too. Because if you made a vow, you were stuck. And we see it would get people in trouble sometimes. You have Jephthah who killed his own daughter uh, because of the foolish vow that he made. Nobody asked him to make that vow. He just did it, got caught up in the moment, I think and uh, made a foolish vow. Uh, we see that in Judges, but uh, we need to be careful. You should keep your vow. Now, in Matthew 5, 30, uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. I want to point this out because I think this is important too because they swore by the God of Israel. Now, they had the right to do this. This was not wrong for them to swear things by the God of Israel. Why? Now, why is that? Well, for one, they're not just speaking as individuals here in this story. You know, they're speaking as, you know, representatives of the nation of Israel. And God was, uh you know, their Lord. He was in charge of everything. And so when they made this oath, when they made, when they swore this, this wasn't just the people, but this was to God too. And this was something that they did uh with the authority they had, with what they had going. Uh, this was something that I don't believe was you know technically wrong for them to do now today as indivi- as individuals i do not believe we should be swearing things in the name of god uh, i we've been told not to do that you say well what's the difference well the thing is now we're not a part of a physical nation anymore we're you know we're a part of a spiritual nation as believers also you know as individuals too when it comes to things of this earth you know and our spiritual standing with god we are just kind of free agents, you could say. Uh, there are things we are kind of separated from. I think we talked about that a week or two ago. And, um, you know, we there is a separation that we have from the wickedness that goes on in this world because in reality, we are here as ambassadors for God. So uh, we've not been called to go find a righteous city somewhere on this earth where we can go dwell where everything's hunky-dory. No, we've actually been called to be ambassadors and, how, and to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So when we are having governmental type dealings, if we're dealing with our earthly courts and things like that, we don't have any God given authority to go swearing things on behalf of God. In that moment, we're just kind of operating as free agents, as you know, citizens of this country or whatever. And so uh, I don't believe we ought to be going out and swearing oaths in the name of God. And the thing is, even when they used to do that in this country, it was more just something they did to get people in trouble religiously, you know, with God. It's like if they, you know, if they were going to bring you in court, you know, that you put your hand in that Bible, you solemnly sort of tell the truth, the whole truth, not but the truth. So help you God. And and you, people are doing that. That way they could scare you. And it's like, you know, if you lied to us, you're a big trouble with God and just kind of take advantage of people that way. Well, you know, here's the thing. That's not how it's supposed to work for us today. It says in Matthew 5:33, and ye have heard that it's been said of them, uh, by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. And forswear means to commit perjury. Okay, you're not supposed to uh, basically swear something and go back on it. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to commit perjury. But I say unto you, listen to this, swear not at all neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by the head, because thou canst not make one hair, white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now here's why God doesn't want us uh, swearing. Okay, And this The fact that Jesus told us not to swear, it does not give the rest of us an excuse to go lie in court. That does not you know, because well, you know, we don't believe in swearing, so I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. No. Here's why God doesn't want us swearing, because swearing it implies that certain times it's more important to tell the truth than others. And y'all understand when it comes to the holy God, He hates all lies. Lying's always bad. You should lie, or you should tell the truth whether you're in court or not in court. You should tell the truth whether you're in church or not in church. Whether your hands on a Bible or not on a Bible, you should just tell the truth. That, that's what God wants from us. So yes, it was said of them of old time, and whenever we see Jesus saying it was said of them of old time, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. But then what does he do? He kind of ups it a little bit and says, you look at a woman to lust after. Well, back, he's saying here, it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself. Okay, I can lie as long as I don't commit perjury. Jesus is saying, no, I don't want you lying at all. I want you telling the truth all the time. That's what he's saying right here in this story. And so we all, because here's the thing, we all fear committing perjury because of the penalties. We don't want to go to jail for it. Uh, But we should fear any lie because we fear God. And, And, you know, I mean, imagine if, you know, I wonder how many people would say the things in court about people that they say on social media, where there's no consequences, except to make people like me think you're a whack job. You know, these people, man, I'm, I'm telling you, man, some people on social media, good night. I'd picture them at home, literally foaming at the mouth and crawling on the ceiling. I mean, that, that that's, how, that's how I see some of these YouTube commenters out there. And I, I, I'm pretty sure every morning when they get up out of bed, their head spins around and they projectile vomit all over the place. I mean, these these people are bad, and a lot of them pretend to be Christians, and some of them sometimes pretend to be supporting me, and are just like they leave comments on our channel, like "You people stay away from me. You, you scare me to death, and you make me look like you're making me look like an idiot." But uh, that's just what I think about these people. Uh, that's for you YouTubers out there that uh, go overboard sometimes. But you know, we said so we should fear lying because we fear God. And so, yes, you do need to fear going to jail if you lie in court, but you know what? You should fear God if you lie online. You should that should scare you. And I'm glad in our country people are scared of lying in court, but you know what I wish? I wish our country just fear they feared God as much as they feared the court system. Wouldn't that be so much better if we just people just feared God? But we have no fear of God in people today. And notice how Jesus said, "Whatsoever cometh more, uh, whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil." You know what? You know what he's saying right there. These, when he, whenever you have to do more than just yay, yay and nay, nay, it's because of evil that's been done. That's why you have to sign so many papers when you get a loan. You know why? Used to be able to. You know why you can't just shake hands anymore? Too many people. Too many people lied. Too many people weren't good for their work. So now you got to sign another paper. Last time I bought a car, I had to sign 30 papers. This time I had to pay 40. You know why? Because there's 10 more people that found 10 more loopholes because they were scumbags and didn't do what they were supposed to do. And you know what? All these things you're doing that you're signing on to, it's because of evil. You should just be able to tell them, I will pay it. You should be able to shake hands, maybe sign one paper, have a witness. That should be enough. That should be plenty right there. But no, we got to do more because of evil. And that's why they do the things like swearing in and court and all that stuff. Why they have those penalties is because of evil. If people would just fear God, we wouldn't even need to do that stuff. If people feared God, we could set them up on a stand and just ask them a question and they would tell the truth because they fear God. That's what God wants from us. And so, thankfully in our country, so what if I get called into court? Well, in our country, we usually have the option to swear or affirm. And, uh, which just means to state or assert positively or to maintain as true. And so when you're in court today, that counts. You know, they, they will count that and they'll often ask, you know, do you swear or affirm? And you can just say, I affirm. And that's, but that legally, it's forcing you uh it, you know to tell the truth, but you're not dragging God into it, and we shouldn't do that so I recommend if you ever have to go to court for something uh, just do that I think we should take advantage of that and um, you know the government doesn't need to be guilt tripping people with God anyway that's our job as Christians right no it, it's supposed to be the Holy Spirit's job so um, you know we should just said we should. Take advantage of that. But either way, it doesn't matter. We should just tell the truth in these, in any situation. So verse 19 says, But all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This will we do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we swear unto them. So while they had messed up here, we see that Israel, they did, they had a healthy fear of God. And so while they made a mistake, they messed up in making this league with people, they messed up in not consulting God, but they didn't use it as an excuse to violate another law of God and break a vow. And so thankfully they did. They had a fear of God here. And so it says in verse 21, And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised them. And because they had said, you you know, before how will be your servants, so they said, let's make them servants. We'll make them do the manual labor uh, and the hard work. And so Joshua called for them and spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, saying, We are very far from you when ye dwell among us. Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants, how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now behold, we are in thine hand as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us do. And so did he unto them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water, for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day in the place which he should choose. So while these people are now cursed because of their lie, at least they weren't dead. You know, they're still better off than everybody else. The people of Gibeon, while there's no doubt they had many problems, while there's no doubt they were very misguided people, they at least had a common sense fear of God that saved their lives. They cause their lives to be spared. Now, what I want to do is take a look at a few things about this situation to help us understand uh, how God works and how he deals with sinful people. Because you know, our God, He's always the same, and it's always interesting to see how He deals with people. Uh you know, and it's a good thing to just kind of look at the nature and character of God and how He works. And so first thing I want to point out about is how Joshua and Israel, they messed up in the situation, did the wrong thing, didn't they? They should not have made this vow, but you know what? They made it. They can't undo it. Okay. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever made a mistake before? Have you ever done something in your past and you regret it, but you can't really undo it, can you? Okay. So, uh I think we've all got things like that, uh, that we could, we could think of. Uh, second thing we need to point out is while they fell short on doing the right thing, it wasn't willful disobedience, but they were deceived. now, you know, when you think back about some of those things you did, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of times I was stupid or whatever, but you know, there's a difference between you just willfully going out and just, I mean, stubbornly going against God and committing some terrible sin and you just being deceived. A lot of people are just deceived by sin. There is a difference. And while there's consequences for being deceived. You know, they're not as bad as when one willfully sins. So uh in First Timothy two eleven, we all like this verse, it says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So there was a curse on the woman for what she did, you know, because she was deceived. But you know what? Adam He's the one who gets credited for death coming into the world. So think about that. There was there's there was a difference. God didn't credit Eve for death coming into the world. God credited Adam for death coming into the world. Now Eve had her consequences, okay? You know because of Eve, uh, you know now women have to be in subjection to their husbands. But at the same time, you know men, while well, they ha- have more responsibility too, you know everything kind of rises and falls on them. If your house falls apart, guys, it's your fault, not the woman's fault. Uh, but I blame my wife for everything. I know you got that from Adam too, but you know it, it's it's wrong. You know God didn't buy into it, and uh, you know you're you're responsible. So you got in, in reality, you know I, I think we got the worst in of the day, except boy having having babies, man. I don't know. I, I I'd rather be in our boat. But if I was a woman, I might be think different on that too. But it says uh, in Romans 5:12 it says. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. That's on Adam. Adam did that. First Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam, not Eve, Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans 7, 11 says, for um, uh, so Paul, when he's talking about uh, Adam's transgression and all that, he says in verse 11 of Romans 7, it says, for sin taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Sin, it often does. It deceives us. But thank God, even though we've all been deceived by sin, even though we all at one point in our life, we got to that point where we had the knowledge of good and evil and we committed that sin and we lost our innocence. I believe the little children, the babies that are in this church, they are in a state of innocence even though they still have a sin nature. And if they were to die, they'd go to heaven. But every one of them is going to come to a point in their life where all of a sudden they know right from wrong and they are willfully going to choose to sin and they're going to be deceived when they do that. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to kill them spiritually when that happens and they're going to have to get saved. They are going to have to get saved at some point, And that's another... Uh, subject for another day i'm hoping to deal with here pretty soon but the thing is you know either way while we've all got something where we've been deceived god sure is pretty merciful with that stuff isn't he god is very merciful when it comes to those things willful disobedience we got another story you know it's one thing if your kid breaks something just you know on accident maybe being a little negligent but when they're disobeying you and they break something isn't it 10 times worse they're going to get in trouble for spilling something on the carpet, or they're, they're, you know, or they're not going to get in so much trouble if they spill something on the carpet if you told them they could eat on the carpet. But if you told them not to and then they went and did it and spilled, all of a sudden we got a bigger problem now, don't we? And so the thing is, you know, there's always consequence for sin, but there's it's a lot easier to find mercy when you're deceived. And so, you know, if you have things in the past that you've done where you're deceived, you didn't know any better, you weren't saved, you know what? Don't be afraid to just ask for mercy. You'll be surprised what God will still bless you with, even if, even if you have certain things in your past. But we've got to remember, it's our responsibility not to be deceived. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no man deceive you uh, with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Don't let it happen. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no man deceive you by any means. 1 John 3, 7 little children let no man deceive you so we have a responsibility not to be deceived and so the last thing we want to look at here is the consequences of being deceived in descent. so what was the consequence for Israel's failure in this story because we're going to see later some of the people that they let survive there were major major problems that they had to deal with later but here this is one where they were deceived now There was a problem that Israel dealt with years later, but it's just, it's not near as bad. And that's in the story in 2 Samuel 21, one says, and there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. So they had a three year famine. Now folks, when you look at some of the other judgments God put on Israel, that doesn't seem that bad. But I'm sure that was a rough three years for Israel. And obviously it wasn't a result, you know, so much because of that vow that they made hundreds of years before. It was because Saul broke that vow. And Saul went and slew the Gibeonites. But this just proves too, God expected them to keep that vow that they made with these people all these years later. And for three years, they had a famine. God still expected them to keep that covenant. Now, if they'd have never made this covenant, then Saul he would, he would have never broke it. They never had this three years of famine. So again, any, even when you get deceived into sinning, you might, you're probably going to deal with some things down the road, you know? So, uh, that's why you have that responsibility not to get deceived. We don't want to deal with these things, but if it happens, just seek mercy, but we're not going to take time to read the story. You know, the story, uh, David calls the Gibeonites and says, what do you want? We gotta make this thing right. We're going through a famine right now because of this. And, uh, they asked for ten of Saul's son, sons to be hung. And, uh, David went and did it. He delivered, uh, them ten of Saul's sons. He spared Mephibosheth. Uh, he even went and took Michael's sons, his wife, that Saul had given her to another man. They had a nasty relationship, folks. You know, that was, I think that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, Michael didn't like David very much, but, He had some of her sons killed. That's, and it was, that was his current wife, you know. So David wasn't perfect either. You know, that was a, that was a rough marriage. Anytime you, and people who use David as an excuse for like multiple marriages and things like that, man, don't ever use David as an excuse for that kind of thing. I mean, there was some bad stuff that went down in his relationships. Really bad stuff. Uh, I don't think any wife should, you know, is going to want David to be, you know, somebody that their husband looks to for inspiration. He he did a bad, he did a really bad job. But uh, anyway, it said so. You know the story. They went, uh, they hung those men. They were delivering the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hung them before the Lord, and uh, they were put to death in the days of the harvest, and that that ended it right there. So that famine came, but notice too how when that famine came. You know how they found out it was because of what Saul did to the Gibeonites? David inquired of the Lord. If you read that story, David inquired of the Lord, and God—you know—God didn't tell him until he asked. And when David inquired of the Lord, God said, "It's because of Saul's bloody house, because of what he did to the Gibeonites. That's why you're suffering right now." And this is, is just another reminder that we should always be inquiring God about everything before you get deceived into something, you know, before you just go along, if I get up and I preach about something that you should be doing in your home before you just go along with that, you know what? It's okay. If you consult the Lord first, I believe he'll help you see the truth on these things. If you'll do that, if Joshua would have done this, it would have solved him a lot of trouble. And so there's no doubt it was God's original intention for these people to die. And they definitely deserved it. But in, jump to uh, chapter 11 of Joshua. Let me show you this real quick. It says, There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should, that, uh, that they should come against Israel in battle, that He might destroy them utterly, and that He might have no favor But that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, here's the thing. You know, while this particular city deserved to be destroyed, they clearly were not reprobate because you know what? God didn't harden their heart. He didn't, these people didn't determine, hey, we're going to join that, you know, League of Nations that's going after uh, Israel. We're going to take care of them. No, you know what they did? In their own messed up, misguided, deceptive way you know what they did they were just looking for mercy and they found it and this is just a reminder of how easy it is to find mercy with god That's that they didn't know this about god but one of god's main notable characteristics is his mercy and even a messed up misguided people trying to get mercy in a really bad way they got it that should encourage all of us to just seek mercy never underestimate the mercy of god You'll be amazed at what he'll forgive and how much he will bless you uh, if you'll call on him. See Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return on the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. There are so many people out there, they just think I've done too much. I've I've done way too much. God will not have mercy on me. Yes, he will. If you want mercy, you can get it if you'll just come to him. Now, obviously, you say, well, what about the reprobates? Those are the ones whose hearts got hardened. They never will. But here's the thing. Theoretically, if they would, anybody who comes to God for mercy is going to get it. You know, and you say, well, you know, what if some guy is a full-blown homo and he you know, calls on the Lord for salvation? He'll be saved. Okay. But here's here's my question. What if God hardens his heart? So, you know, and we do know that with those given over reprobate mind, God does that. So these things, they all, they all fit. But understand if you want mercy and you'll go to God for it, obviously your heart hasn't been hardened. So you might as well take advantage of that. Take advantage of the benefits of not being a reprobate. And that's one of them. You can get mercy. So all these years later, we see in this story, God expected Israel to keep that vow and uh it's a good thing they did and uh and this these people as messed up as they were they found mercy and so there will still be consequences for being deceived you know Israel had 3 years of famine later but that's relatively easy compared to, and it wasn't even because they made the vow it was because they eventually broke it and that's a reminder too don't make don't make promises you can't keep don't make foolish vows all that's going to do is get you in trouble. So uh, hopefully, this chapter was encouragement to you, helps you understand some of these things a little better. And, you know, let's take advantage of God's mercy. When I say take advantage, I'm not saying go out and willfully sin because of God's mercy. No, I'm saying we're in those areas where you've been deceived, where you've messed up, where you've been deceived. You know, don't be afraid to go to God for mercy. He'll give it to you. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful story that we see and this uh, example of mercy. Your word, Lord, I thank you for the mercy and forgiveness that you show us every day, and I pray you'll help us, Lord, uh, to uh, always remember that and help us uh, to be responsible enough that we will not be deceived, and you'll help us to uh, avoid as many mistakes and consequences as possible, but we do. We thank you so much that you forgive us in those areas we fall short. In your name we pray, amen.